whales. The teacher said it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human because even though it was a very large mammal, its throat was very small. The little girl stated that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Irritated, the teacher reiterated that a whale could not swallow a human. It was physically impossible. The little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I will ask Jonah. The teacher asked, what if Jonah went to hell? The little girl replied, then you ask him. <laughs> We're picking on teachers today, aren't we? I want to talk to you today about something that was not really related to that, but it was kind of cute, and I just had to read it to you. I want to talk to you today about a topic that doesn't seem like a very typical Sunday morning topic, but it's been on my heart for the past few weeks, and therefore when it's on my heart, I feel like it's something that needs to be shared. So I want to talk to you this morning about apostasy, apostasy in the church. This is not a condemning or a judgmental service. It's not a negative message. Rather, it's a very encouraging, eye-opening, enlightening message because it makes us understand the times that we live in. We are living in the end times. We are living in the end times. I'm not saying it's happening tomorrow. I'm not saying it's happening in my lifetime. I don't have any idea. But I do see the signs. And I'm not the only one. If you go on, if you listen to Bible preachers and good prophecy teachers, you will hear a very concerted, consistent message that we are living in the end times. So we need to be aware. We need to be alert. We need to be watching for the signs of what the end times are. And one of the biggest signs in the end times is apostasy. Apostasy. And it's specifically happening in our churches across America. It is happening right before our eyes. I read an article titled Apostasy in the Christian Church, written by the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. And the article states, apostasy means to fall away from the truth. That's the definition of apostasy. Therefore, an apostate is someone who has once believed and then rejected the truth of God. Apostasy is a rebellion against God because it is a rebellion against truth. In the Old Testament, God warned the Jewish people about their idolatry and their lack of trust in him. In the New Testament, the epistles warn us about not falling away from the truth. Apostasy is a very real and dangerous threat. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 Verse 3 in the Amplified Version says, Let no one deceive or beguile you in any way, for that day will not come except the apostasy comes first. That day is talking about the second coming of Christ. There was a teaching at that time, even back in the, in, when the, Old, the New Testament was being written, that Jesus had already, already returned the second time, and he was already on the earth. And Paul was telling the Thessalonians, that's not true. It's not true. He's not returned yet because it has some of the things haven't happened. And it says, for that day will not come except the apostasy comes first 
unless the predicted great falling away of those who have professed to be Christians has come, and the man of lawlessness or sin is revealed, who was the son of doom, that would be the Antichrist. This verse tells us that there will be an apostasy that is associated with the appearance of the Antichrist. Most Christians are looking for the arrival of the Antichrist, but very few are looking for the apostasy that must come first. The arrival of the Antichrist cannot occur until sufficient apostasy has happened in the world. The Antichrist, who is the ultimate of liars, cannot abide in a world where the truth of God's word is taught. This is why the Bible says that the apostasy will come first, and then the Antichrist will be revealed. Therefore, we must ask, as, as Christians, we must ask this question. Is there an apostasy occurring in the Christian church today? Some would say no, and others yes. But as we look for the arrival of the Antichrist, should we not also be looking for the arrival of the apostasy? And where else should we look? first look but in our own house? For the Bible tells us that judgment will begin in the house of the Lord. 1 Peter 4:17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Sobering question, isn't it? Sobering question. What about our church? What about our church? Is there a falling away happening in our church? Look how many empty seats are here. Now, I know a lot of people have valid excuses for not being in church. And that's fine. But yet, look at the lack of attendance on a regular basis in our churches in this community. Talk to the other pastors. There is an apostasy happening in our community and in our church. Let me ask you, do we really want sound biblical teaching that may threaten our preconceived ideas? Do you really want it? Do I really want to preach it? Do we really want it? Because if we want it, it's going to shake you up. It's going to shake me up. And it's not going to be fun. Initially. Initially. It's not going to be fun. But the end result is sweet, sweet, sweet. So let me ask you again. Do you want it? And are you willing to sit under it? And are, are you willing to practice it? Because it has to happen more than in just, on just Sunday mornings. It has to happen Monday through Friday. You have to take hold of it. You have to be responsible for it, just like I do. And together, we can change it. But know that it is happening. Know that it is bound to happen. Know that it is prophesied to happen. I'm not a doomsday preacher. I'm not a doomsday teacher in this day at all. I am, this is very encouraging to me because this is revealing to us that we really are living in the end days because it is happening and the elect are even being deceived. Therefore, look up. Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. That's an exciting thing to happen. We're warned in a couple different areas in First and Second Timothy that there's a time coming when people don't want to hear sound biblical teaching. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith, and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Wow, that's pretty strong, pretty strong words. 
Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They then go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So let me ask you again. Is our church falling away? Is the apostasy happening in our church? Is the apostasy happening in your mind? It can't happen in the church unless it happens in you first. Because we are the church. What does apostasy mean? It means a falling away from or a desertion, desertion of one's religious faith. And does it happen all at once? See, I don't think it does because I think Satan is pretty smart. And again, I'm not glorifying him when I talk about him. It hurts me to even talk about him, but we have to know our enemy. We have to know who he is because he's not a little guy with a red suit with a pitchfork in his, in his hand with a little pointy tail. He's not that man at all. If that was what he is, we could handle that. But we can't handle him on our own. We have to understand that he is smart enough to know that he cannot come to me head on and win. He cannot come to you head on and win because you're smart enough to beat him when it comes to knowing what the Bible says in most cases. We're all here relatively mature Christians that I know of. And more than likely, the devil will not be able to come to you and make you or give you a temptation of murdering somebody or taking drugs or having a drinking binge. But he can come to you very, very subtly with a compromise. A compromise. Looking the other way. Oh, it's okay. I can do that little thing. I can tell that little white lie. Do you know that a white lie is as black as a black lie? That there is no such thing as a white lie? Do you know that you can lie with your eyes? Do you know that you can lie with your tone of your voice? It doesn't have to be a bold-faced, outright lie. It can be something like this. I have a headlight out in my car, and I know it was out. But I got in my car anyways, and I drove down the road because I had to get to my next appointment. And I get stopped by a police officer, a very nice police officer. It wasn't Scott. No. <laughs> but anyway, Mr. Police Officer comes up to my car and he says, Sir, I have to give you a ticket. Do you know that your headlight is out? And you say, What? My headlight's out? I said the truth. I said, My headlight's out. But I said it, what? You mean my headlight's out? You know what that is? That's a lie. I just lied with my inflection of my voice. I said the truth, but I lied. Now, is that any worse than telling a bold-faced lie to anybody? I don't think so. 
Now, I know this is kind of hard, isn't it? Because, boy, the, the, the question becomes, when you start talking like this, you start teaching or preaching like this, where do you stop? Where do you stop saying the truth so that it, I feel good when I leave? You know what that's called? The apostasy, a falling away, a compromising, slow-moving deception that will come into me subtly, gently, as not even a bad thing necessarily, and next thing you know, I'm compromising with my own integrity, and I'm falling away. That's the great apostasy. And it's happening. It's happening. It's like we talked about a few weeks ago about sheep and how, how, and how a sheep gets lost. A sheep doesn't get lost intentionally. There's not one person in this room today that, has, that, that when you were five or six years old said, I want to be a drug addict when I grow up. I want to be a sex offender when I grow up. I want to leave my wife when I grow up and be a really successful dad. Nobody says that. So how does it happen? It happens one action at a time. It's like that sheep. He's grazing. He's, got, he's, he's with the flock. He's with the shepherd. There's a good shepherd here with a, with a bunch of other sheep. And this sheep has his head down and he's eating the grass. And it's one bite at a time, one blade at a time. And slowly, slowly, slowly he's getting away from the flock. And here's the deal. The flock isn't sitting there waiting for him because the flock is moving too. See, a Christian life never is stagnant. I don't become a Christian and then stop growing. I don't become a Christian and say, okay, I'm arrived. I've got Jesus in my heart. I don't need to do anything else. No, a Bible, a Bible believing Christian is one that's reading the word and he's praying and he's, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's moving along the path of maturity. So the flock is not sitting here in one spot and this little one's over here doing his own thing. What's happening is this little one over here is going further that way and the flock is going further that way. And so when he finally realizes that he's alone, he looks back and the flock is gone because the shepherd has moved the flock along the way of maturity. Like he's supposed to have been doing all along where the old sheep, the little sheep over here is lost. Now here's the good news. The good news is that the great shepherd notices the one sheep that's lost. And what he does is, the Bible says, he'll take the 99 that are, are safe and he'll secure them. He'll put them in a pen. He doesn't leave them unguarded. He'll put them in a pen. But the shepherd will go out and look for the one that's lost. That's the good news for us today. That's the good news for you that have, that have children that are gone astray that maybe aren't serving God today. They didn't go out intentionally to get lost. They're out there, though. And they're lost. We have to face the facts. We have to face the facts. You know why we have to face the facts? Because then we know how to pray for them. We can't put our head in the ground thinking that oh, our kids are going to be okay. We can't do that. We have to pray and we have to dig in for them, and we have to work for them, and we have to, we, have to, we have to do our part to assist the shepherd, who is Jesus, into going out and finding that lost one and pulling him back, pulling him out of the briars and pulling him out of that weed and setting him on the right path and bringing him into the flock. There's great hope in that because Jesus didn't forget about him. 
He's going after them. The Holy Spirit is going after your kids, going after your loved ones, going after your family members. He's going after them. He has not forgotten about them. So take heart. Be encouraged. Understand that it is not over. He is still seeking the lost. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that He is. Amen. So the shepherd is out. He's finding them. And you know, it's not only just the individual sheep that gets lost a little bit at a time, but you know what? If there is a significant influential sheep, that influential sheep might take others with them. Thus, church splits. Thus, divisions in the body of Christ. Because all of a sudden, somebody gets a wild idea, and we gather around it, and that one individual person, rather than coming under the, under the, the real solid Bible teaching of, of doctrinal teaching, he gets an opinion, and that opinion takes him astray. And he can quickly, quickly take others. A.W. Tozier writes in, a, writes in his book, Causes of a Dozing Church. He writes, What is the present condition of the evangelical church? The bulk of Christians are asleep. I do not mean that the bulk of Christians who come to evangelical churches are not converted, because if I meant that, I would say that they were dead and never had been born again. But I say they are asleep. It is possible to be, it is possible to be morally asleep, yet mentally, intellectually, physically, and theologically alert. The present condition is that we are asleep. Does that make any sense? It means that we can be driving the car and do dozing off. How many have ever done that? How many have ever been driving down the road and you find yourself missing the last couple seconds? Kind of a scary thing, isn't it? When you wake up and realize, whoa, that was close. Have you ever hit the rumble strips? Yeah. I tell you, thank goodness there's rumble strips. I'm a rumble strip. Boy, I just thought about that. It's not in my notes. But good Bible preaching teachers or teachers or a friend that cares enough about you is a rumble strip. And he's saying, wake up. Wake up. It's time to be alert. It's time to understand the devil is wanting you and he wants your family. And it's time to wake up. And it's time to get ourselves back on track. And it's time to understand that it's not politically correct to say things like this, but it has to be said. It's time. The apostasy is happening. It's happening in our midst. It's happening right before us. And if we don't be careful, we're going to lose it. Whoa. The enemy... He's a deceiver, and he's roaming about doing whatever he can to deceive us into a false sense of Christianity so that we're numb to the Word and totally ineffective as Christians. He doesn't have to make us evil to destroy us, just empathetic and miserable to live with and be basically around so that nobody wants to be who we are. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is actively on the prowl. 
actively moving around, actively going after me and you and our kids. He's not passive. He may not have a big bite. He may, he, he may be a gumless lion like we talked a few weeks ago, but he is real and he's powerful and he can deceive us in our own minds if we're not careful. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 5 Jesus answered, and he said, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. It goes later on to verse 10 and 12 in Matthew 24. And it says, At that time many will turn away from the faith, and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. Is your love cold? Is your love hot? Is your love lukewarm? If it's cold or lukewarm, watch out. Watch out. Because you are primed for deception. You are primed to be deceived. We talked about this Wednesday night in uh, Ginger's Bible study. Talked about cults, talked about false teachers. And, and what we found and what we see is that a cult leader or a false teacher is a really, really good speaker. And he's really smooth. And he can say some really, really good things. Very comforting. Very comfortable. A lot of hope. A lot of good things comes out of a cult teacher's mouth. He doesn't talk about damnation. He doesn't talk about getting your heart right with God. He just says, oh, positive thinking. Think nice thoughts. Quietly. Very gently. Come on in. Let's have a nice little church service. Let's sing a few songs. Let's pray a little bit even. We'll even pray. But he doesn't ever get to the point of sin. He never talks about sin. He never talks about what you don't do. He only talks about what you do in a very soft-spoken, pleasant-to-hear voice. And it makes me sick. He comes with easy virtues. He comes as a partial truth teller. He tells the good, the easy, and he leaves out the part that saves your soul. Because it's not popular. Because it doesn't bring a big offering. Because it might not bring the crowd back next week. So he says a very nice, gentle message. And everybody feels good. And everybody goes home and has stew. Or Pizza Hut. <clears throat> ben Rast of Contender Ministries writes, As prophesied, false prophets and false Christs are appearing in rapidly increasing numbers. They pervert the gospel of Christ and substitute for it one that replaces the long-standing truths of sin and redemption with inclusiveness, universal salvation, and a complete release from accountability. 
This is the message that many itching ears have wanted to hear. Instead of man being inherently sinful, he is inherently good. There is no condemnation, therefore no divine salvation. Man is killing God and replacing grace with self-reliance. The church today is ripe for such an apostasy. Many of the mainline denominations have lost their zeal and faith and, re and are relying more and more upon the wisdom of God. I'm sorry, the wisdom of man. See, I, I'm just used to saying the wisdom of God. But it says that they're relying more and more on the wisdom of man. Church is less about faith and fellowship and more about religion. A tepid, cream-colored, non-intrusive, undemanding religion. Do you want any modern day, do you want an example of a modern day teacher? A modern day pastor? A modern day new church? Larry, can you run that? You might know this person. Have you heard about the largest church in the world? The first service was March 3, 2008, with an attendance of over 300,000. The attendance is now over 2 million, and they conducted the first ever mass trance on March 17, 2008. What do they teach? Who you are requires no belief. Heaven is not a location, but refers to the inner realm of consciousness. The man on the cross is an archetypal image. He is every man and every woman. The leader's website teaches these lessons. My mind is part of God's. I am very holy. My holiness is my salvation. My salvation comes from me. Let me remember that there is no sin. Do not make the pathetic error of, quote, clinging to the old rugged cross, unquote. The only message of the crucifixion is that you can overcome the cross. Have you heard of this church or maybe its leader? Years ago, she denied Jesus is the only way. One of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live and that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world, that there are millions of ways to be a human how being do you see and, God? and many ways, no, but many paths to what you call God. That and her path crazy. might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light. But her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be in that, I mean, it, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, there couldn't possibly be just one way. What, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Today, she has turned her millions of adoring fans over to New Age doctrine. Christians are letting this into their homes and are being deceived. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to week number three of our New Earth web class. And again, I um, thank you. Eckhart Tolle thanks you for joining us as we bring students and seekers together to discuss our latest book club selection, Eckhart Tolle's A New We did something last week that was uh, unprecedented. You said it's never been done before on television where you just sit there in silence. I, I, and I thought a lot of people responded to the sense of connection from that. So you want to do that again? Yes. Let's do that again. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you're going to lead us in silence? And okay. simply become aware that you are breathing. The air flows in and out and you feel yourself breathing. Air flows in and out of the body. In reading books such as Tolley's, I've really op it's really opened my eyes up to a new way of thinking, a new form of spirituality, 
that doesn't always align with the teachings of Christianity. So my question is to you, Oprah, how have you reconciled these spiritual teachings with your Christian belief? Uh, I've reconciled it because I was able to open my mind about the, um, the absolute indescribable hugeness of that which we call God. Um, I took God out of the box because I grew up in the Baptist church and there were, you know, rules and, you know, belief systems and doctrine. And um, I happened to be um, sitting in church in my late 20s and I was going to this church where you had to get there at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning or you couldn't get a seat and a very uh, charismatic minister and everybody was just, you know, into the sermon. And uh, this great uh, minister was preaching about how great God was and how omniscient and omnipresent and God is everything. And then he said, and the Lord thy God is a jealous God. And I was, you know, caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said jealous. And something struck me. Just, and I was like, uh, I think about 27 or 28. I was thinking, God is all, God is omnipresent, God is all. And God's also jealous. Jealous, God is jealous of me. Um, and something about that didn't, didn't feel right in my spirit because I believe that God is love and that God is in all things. And so that's when the, the, the search for something more than doctrine uh, started to stir within me. And I love this quote that uh, Eckhart has. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes in uh, chapter one, where he says, Man made God in his own image. The eternal, the infinite, and unnameable was reduced to a mental idol that you had to believe in and worship as my God or our God. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. It means you are the consciousness in which the world appears, is seen. So you believe what happens to us at death when the body dies? I you don't, don't have a belief. I don't give it any thought. You don't. God, in the essence of all consciousness, isn't something to believe. God is. Yes. God is. And God is a feeling experience, not a believing experience. That's right. And if, and if you're, that your religion is a believing experience, if God for you is still about a belief, then it's not truly God. No. That's what you're saying. Yes. But that's not all. She's entered the political arena by endorsing a candidate for president. Okay, the there. new age teacher giving... You can stop there. I think we got the point. Do you see how influential she is? See, when our opinions matter more than the truth of the word of God, then we wonder why we don't have the power to overcome the problems in our lives. Oprah has an opinion. So what? She takes... Her opinion over the doctrine doesn't need any more doctrine. <laughs> who, are, who, who is she deceiving? Who are you deceiving if you don't know what the Word says? See, it's so easy to take something that is black and white and smudge it a little bit with an eraser and make it gray. The Bible is very clear. It's very black and white. But in our humanity... And our desire to live comfortably, we get the eraser and we start erasing it and we start spitting on it and we smudge it and before long it's gray and I don't know where the boundaries are anymore because I smudged the Word of God.
It's time to come back. It's time to go back to get a new Bible. If you've smudged your Bible up, go buy a new Bible. If you need money, we'll, we'll, the church will buy you one. Get, you, get a new Bible that hasn't been smudged and go back and reword it, reread it. Because the Bible in Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 13 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Can you imagine what God, what Jesus is going to say to Oprah on Judgment Day and Eckhart Tolle? Can you imagine what that's going to be like? See, we have to live a 100% commitment for Jesus. The Bible never says live 50% Bible and 50% opinion. It never says that. It says in Luke 10, 27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. That's pretty much everything. All of it. It doesn't say then throw in a little opinion here and there and shake it up and let's spice it up with your opinion. It never says that. That is New Age thinking and that is apostasy. So as we conclude this morning, why am I talking about this in our church in Charlevoix? Why am I talking about it? We don't have any um, false religions here, do we? We don't have any false teachers here, do we? I mean, I, I guess it's the same question that Doug said when he didn't think there were drugs in the community. People, it's happening all around us. Just turn on the TV. You just watch Oprah. It's happening all around us, and it happens subtly. Second Timothy chapter 4, the first two verses, verses 1 and 2, says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and in his kingdom, I give you this charge. He's giving this charge to me, and he's giving this charge to you. Whether you're a pastor or not, it doesn't make any difference. Listen to what the charge is. The charge is, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That will keep us away from false teachers. That will keep us away from our own minds going astray with our own opinions. When I can... Read the Word, pray, listen, gather together with other Bible-believing brothers and sisters and talk about it and teach each other and encourage each other and be patient with each other because we're all going to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's claiming they're perfect. All they're trying to say is we want to live a godly life and we will do it with patience and gentleness and endurance to the end. Again, why do I talk like this in our small little church? It doesn't make any difference how big or how small we are. We're all going to be held accountable for our faith and our living it out.
The most obvious sign of the spiritual decline of the church is apathy. Apathy. Apathy towards the house of God, the word of God, and the presence of God. Apathy sometimes overtakes a believer, even an entire body of believers. Before they are even aware anything wrong is wrong, the fruit of apathy is apostasy. I just feel such a presence of the Lord calling us back, saying, people, my, my spirit has not left Charlevoix Assembly. My spirit has not left this place, but yet people are walking out. They're apathetic. They're lethargic. They're duped. They're asleep. I'm not saying that you all have to be jumping and gyrating and crazy motions and swinging from chandeliers and going crazy. I'm not trying to call all that out in you. I'm not trying to get emotionalism out of you. That's the old-time Pentecost. Nothing wrong with it, but that's not the point. I mean, if, if the point was just to say, okay, everybody come down here and we're going to have some, we're going to have some altar time and, and we're not leaving until everybody's fallen, you know, fallen over, slain in the spirit and drooling on themselves. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is call out to you to your common sense to what you live with, because we could come up here and we could force it and we could sing the songs and we could get all hyper and we could play the game, but that's not going to change anything in your life unless you want to change, unless you want to take it with you Monday through Friday. So I'm not trying to go with the emotional stuff. You know what really I am? I'm a coach. And every good pastor is a coach. We have a football team made up of 22 players. There's an offense and there's a defense. And in the offense, I have linemen, and I have wide receivers, and I have fullbacks, and I have a tailback, and I have a quarterback, and I have um, a split end. And on defense, I've got a linebacker, and I've got all these different positions. Well, you know what? That's great. I'm not trying to make you all quarterbacks. I'm not trying to make you all linemen. You be the best lineman you can be. You be the best quarterback you can be. You do the thing you do the best you can do it. My job as the coach is to encourage everybody to work out, to get in shape, to come to the training table, to eat the right food, to get in shape, and to, play, and to run the right plays together in unison, in unity. Because if you're running a play that's a running play and you're another guy's running a play that's a passing play, you're not going to win the game you're going to get the quarterback sacked. Or if you as a lineman decide, I'm not going to block this time, I want to run the ball. So you stop blocking and say, hey, quarterback, give me the ball. You stand up and that nose guard, a big, mean Joe Green nose guard, goes by, blowing by you and sacks the quarterback. What have you done for the team? And what have you done to the poor quarterback? So what I'm, what I'm doing here today is calling you out to be the best lineman you can be to be the best end you can be. I don't need to make you all like me or anybody else. Not what I'm trying to do. I just want you to be who you are. Be who you are. But be the best you can be in who you are. And do not let the apostasy come in your mind and, and, and take away your salvation and your victory. And do not compromise with the devil. I have no idea how to end the service. 
I know that the Lord's working on your heart. He's working on mine. And I'm not one for just calling people down to the front just to come down and feel good to make it look like we're all down here. But I'll tell you what. If the Lord's dealing with you, if the Lord's dealing in your heart, then listen to Him. Listen to Him. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care anything about who you are. I don't care. I care about your soul. That's what the Lord cares about is your soul. He wants you forever and ever and ever to be with Him. Would you close your eyes with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us now. Holy Spirit, come into our hearts and our lives. Holy Spirit, help us to recognize the apostasy of my spirit, the apathy, the the, the lethargic attitude that I have. Somebody else will do it. I don't need to do it. Somebody else will do my job. I don't need to do it. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do your job and convict us of the areas that we need conviction in. Yes, we're saved. That doesn't mean anything. I still need you. (laughs) I still need you, Holy Spirit. Yes, I'm saved. I'm a new man. I'm, I'm a regenerated man. But you know what? I still need you. I still need to keep moving with you. I still need to learn from you. I still need to be part of what you are. This is not necessarily a salvation for those that are not saved. This is a message for those that are saved. To protect yourself from apostasy and apathy. So, Father, I pray right now as we, as we just examine our hearts. Lord, I pray that a successful conclusion of this service is what happens tomorrow. What happens Tuesday. It's not about today necessarily. It's about what happens this week. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, the authority that you've placed in this role of coach, of this role as pastor, Father, I take it and I, and I use it in a way to say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to work on this flock. I give you permission, Holy Spirit, to work on all of our people. Do not let them off easily, Holy Spirit, until they know until they know that you're drawing them back, pulling them back. Father, I pray, I agree with the hearts of the moms and the dads and the grandparents for lost kids. I pray, Father, right now, and I, I agree with faith in my heart and their heart for saved people, for saved loved ones. Holy Spirit, go to them. Begin the process. Draw them in, we pray. Put somebody in their path this week that would give them a word. Give somebody an opportunity to speak to them. And at the same time, make me ready in season and out because I may be the person that might speak to somebody else's child. So help me to be living a life righteously, Help me to be living a life holy and give me the words to say and the boldness to speak the word that I need to speak to somebody else's child as I'm praying that they're speaking to my child. 
And when we do that, we will come against the apostasy in this church. We will come against the apathy and the lethargic attitudes that are, that's prevalent in our community. And we will claim people, claim churches, claim families one more time for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? Amen. As we sing this song, let's just, uh, let's just give God some praise. Let's give Him some glory into what He's going to do in our hearts and our lives. And let, I'm, let's, not, let's walk out of here. <laughs> let's walk out of here today not feeling good about ourselves, but let's feel good about who the Holy Spirit is. And let's feel good about who our King is and who our God is. And let's take it seriously and move on with righteousness in our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.